And so last week, um, just quickly as, as way of review, uh, we talked about how uh, the prophecy was for a child that was going to be born, a son that was going to be given, a gift that was going to be given, and ultimately that the government would be upon his shoulders, that, that he was going to be a king, a messiah. And so we talked uh, through that idea last week. And we finished last week by talking about the idea of names, the concept that, that especially in, in Old Testament times, uh, even in the New Testament period, not so much for us today, uh, but names were significant. And so when somebody was given a name, it not only signified uh, something that person would be called, but it really signified uh, a lot about the person's character or who they would be. And so um, we're going to dive into looking at these names that Jesus uh, is called here, that the the Messiah would be called. So if you have your Bibles, um, or if you want to look up here on the screen, we'll have it up here. Um, I want us just to read together Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We're going to do this every week. Um, just because I think it's a really good rhythm to kind of get us familiar with the passage and just reading it together. And so let's read this together, starting in, uh, or really just one verse, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's, uh, let's just pause for a moment and uh, let's just uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for, again, as already been said, we thank you for time this morning to, to gather as your church, God, to celebrate what you have done in our lives and what you're doing in our lives. Um, Father, as we enter into a time now of, of studying your word and diving into your word, I pray that it wouldn't just be an academic pursuit for us. I pray it wouldn't just merely be head knowledge, but God, it would drive to, to our hearts and God, our lives would be changed. I pray that we would become people, um, God, that, that put your glory, that put your name on display for the world around us. I pray as we, as we dive in today and we look at, at the name, wonderful counselor that was given to Jesus, God, all these years before he was even born, before he even came, God, this name that was going to represent who he was going to become and who he is in our lives. Father, I pray that it would be more than just a name for us today, uh, Father, but we would see in the wonderful counselor that we take all of our sorrow and we take all of our mess inside of our lives and we can give it to him and we can go to him in those moments of life and he brings joy out of us. And I pray that that would be what we what we see today. I pray that would be what we're encouraged by today. And I pray, God, from our time together today, as we leave today, that we would walk away looking more and more like the image of your son, the more and more like Jesus in every aspect of our life. God, we pray right now that your spirit would come and would lead us, um, would lead our time. God, would open our eyes as we, um, God, just dive into uh, your beautiful word this morning. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So today our, our job, our task, if you will, is to, to really look at this, this name, Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. And and I think, um, I've I kind of gone back and forth a lot this week, but I think the, the most helpful way for us to understand this name, to, to really dive into it, is to look at, at the two, these as two separate ideas, two separate names, and then we'll put it together at the end, uh, or in a few minutes. And so first, let's look at the concept of the word wonderful, right? Wonderful. Now, that's, that's not a phrase that we use a whole lot today, uh, but in the English, it really just means extraordinarily good, 
exciting a feel of wonder or marvel, right? When I think about marveling at something, right? I think about um, I think about a teenage guy, right? A teenage boy, and he finds his first love. And he just sets awake at night and he just marvels at this beautiful, magnificent creature that God has allowed him to spend time with, right? And he's just so enthralled that that's all he can think about, usually for about a week, right? Because we know that's usually the, the lifespan of a relationship at that point. Um, some of them longer. Um, but, but to marvel, to just, to just be in so much awe that we're just captured by... By the by, the person by the name. This uh, primarily in the Old Testament, uh, this word wonder and marvel was was primarily used in references to God's mighty works. So these times that God would would show up and do these powerful, powerful things, and the people would just stand back and wonder in awe at what God had done. Uh, certainly, this in our minds, uh, in a, in a Hebrew's mind, when they when they read this, would hyperlink them back to those moments in the Exodus story, right? I think, and, and if you're familiar with the book of Exodus, um, we see just picture after picture, story after story of God showing up in these wondrous, uh, amazing, mind blowing kind of ways. I mean, we think about the plagues that was sent to Pharaoh as a sign to show that the God of the Hebrews, that this God, Yahweh, was, was ultimately the true God. Or we think about the parting of the Red Sea. We think about moments like uh, the pillar of fire and the cloud, right? Just these, these amazing, wonderful moments, the manna moments. And they just strike wonder and amazement. Um, and, I, and I wonder, like, even in the midst of the church, even in the circle of, of a Christianized world and the Bible Belt South that we live in, how often do we actually like sit back and, and think about the wonder of God? And more specifically to our context today, like how often do we sit back and are we, do we think about, do we marvel at what it is, what, who Jesus was, and we're just like amazed by who he is? And so one of the practices that we like to do at Bedrock, um, I know a couple of you guys some new faces this morning, just kind of preface. One of the practices we like to do is we, we want our time to, to not just be one way where you guys are just hearing information, but we also want it to be somewhat interactive so we have some uh, conversations happening. Because we, what we know is that when you talk about something, you, you, you get it at a deeper level than when you just, it's just one way communication. Right, uh, we have we have some teachers on the front row, and they can tell us that like they can sit and lecture their kids in a classroom, and they retain a very little amount of that information. But when we can actually interact with those thoughts, and when we can have some discussion around those, that we seem to retain that better at a deeper level. And so um, we're going to have periodic times throughout our time this morning that we will kind of break and have a little bit of discussion, and then we'll come back together. Uh, for, for some more teaching. And so what I want us to do just to kind of get kicked off this morning is we think about this idea of wonderful counselor, right? Um, I want us to discuss this question. Um, when was the last time that you stopped and marveled at the name of Jesus? Um, and let me preface this with, if, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, maybe when was the last time you stopped and just marveled at something just in general in the world around us that you would say, man, that really just took my breath away. Like, I can't understand how amazing that thing was. Or, or for those of us that are followers of Jesus, I can't believe Jesus would show up in my life in that way. And I just kind of had to take a step back 
and just just marvel at who he is. So let's take about a minute. Um, and what I would encourage you to do is just get in a couple of groups, maybe four or five people around you, uh, maybe a few more depending on, on your group size. Um, but just kind of turn to a couple people around you and just quickly let's discuss that, um, that, that question. When was the last time you stopped and marveled at Jesus or just something in, in the world that he created? And then we'll come back together and finish walking through this. And so, and so wonderful, right? Um, Jesus is first described by, by the term wonderful. There's, there's something about this counselor that is just going to be incomprehensible almost. That's going to continue to just turn the wheels in our mind with amazement. I think it's interesting um, throughout, throughout Scripture, we don't see this word wonder, wonderful associated with the name many times. One of the places that shows up is in Judges chapter 13, verse 18. There's a guy named Manoah, and the angel of the Lord comes to Manoah and tells him that he's going to have a son. Um, and so from theology, what we know is that when the, it says the angel of the Lord, that's an Old Testament appearing of, of Jesus showing up in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. Um, and he's coming to Manoah, to this guy, and he's going to tell him that he's going to have a son named Samson. And, and, and Manoah asked the angel, he said, well, well, what is your name? Like, give me your name. And verse 18 says, and the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? There's, there's something amazing about this name. Um, there's something that is important and significant about this one uh, who is not just a counselor, but it's going to be a wonderful counselor. Um, Isaiah says in Isaiah 25, verse 1, says this, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. There's something certainly wonderful about this counselor. But secondly, wonderful counselor. Counselor. And we know that a counselor, right, is someone who gives advice, someone who, who shares counsel or gives wisdom. First appearance that we have of this word counselor shows up in Exodus 18, 18, where uh, Moses is going to his father-in-law Jethro. And Jethro says to Moses, I will give you counsel. I will give you some advice, some wisdom on things. Um, this word counselor, uh, someone who gives us advice. Now, in our context today, right, when we think about a counselor, right, we, we may think of something like this. Right? You guys know who that is. Shout out. Who, who is that? Dr. What? Dr. Phil, right? And so, like, for any of us that have watched, um, any of us who have, have watched, you know, like, TV in the last 10 years or whatever, Dr. Phil is this guy, right? And he has people that comes onto his show that have problems, um, and he gives advice, right? Usually all of his problems end up being that it's, daddy issues or that you need to hug somebody like that's kind of his his narrative right um and there's some wisdom like i've seen i've seen a few episodes I, i'm not definitely not an avid watcher but i've seen a few episodes where he's given some good advice and and people have been able to uh connect right but i don't want us to think dr phil um when we think counselor because i think it misses the point um what we want to think of is someone who gives when we go to, to Jesus, right, in, in those moments of life when we're truly struggling, right, it's not just let me give you the best advice for the moment. Let me not, not just give you the best advice of the day, but let me give you truth, right? So when we think counselor, we need to think wisdom, wise, 
Um, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12 says this. He says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, speaking of the Messiah, the one that's coming, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This is a picture of one that is going to be wise in their understanding. And so where we get to is this idea of a wonderful counselor. Um, And so when we put those two concepts together, right, we get the picture of who this Messiah is going to be. He's going to be, yes, wonderful and incomprehensible, but yet he's also going to be a counselor, um, that he's going to be wise. And so when we're navigating the path of life and we end up in situations that are uncharted or at least uh, we don't understand, we can go to this counselor, we can go to this wonderful counselor and bring our problems and know that he's going to in turn give us true wisdom and true understanding in those situations. I think, uh, again, going back to Isaiah, Isaiah, as we said last week, is just filled with, with pictures and stories of who this Messiah, who this Savior is going to be. In Isaiah 28, verse 29, um, he says this, um, and I love the, the play. You see both ideas of, of, of wonderful and counselor in this verse. Uh, this also comes from the Lord of hosts. He is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom it's this picture that that he's both that he's both wonderful and counselor and and one of the aspects that makes jesus truly the wonderful counselor for us for humanity is that he has experienced and endured the things that we walk through yet he's done all of that without sin he's done it perfectly like he's hit the mark 100 out of 100 times and that's huge because I think what we do a lot of times um, in, our, in our Christian walk or just in our world in general is we, we have this idea of Jesus as just kind of this like spiritual guru guy that just kind of walked around and just kind of floated above the air and, and never, was, never was hit with hard situations, kind of this disconnected guy that always kind of had a perpetual smile on his face, never endured hard things in life. And he's just like Jesus, you know, but, but, but we don't understand that, that part of that Christmas story of him coming to earth, right? Uh, as, as Isaiah would say in chapter seven, verse 14, as Emmanuel, God with us was that he wraps on the dirt and the mess of humanity. He wraps on the situations of life that we walk through and he now becomes a guide for us. He becomes an example. He walks through and navigates the life that each one of us will walk through, but yet he does it perfectly. That's the thing to me that makes him wonderful, that's beyond my comprehension, is that he walks through the things in life that I fail at, and yet he did it perfectly without sin. That's, that's one of the aspects to me that makes him the, the wonderful counselor in my life, is that he, he is perfect in all of those areas. Last week we, uh, we looked at uh, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 where the writer of Hebrews is, is talking about Jesus as our high priest. And he says, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. It's one of the beautiful pictures of the humanity of Jesus. Uh, John 1.14, the word came 
and wrapped on flesh and lived among us, right? One of the beautiful pictures is that he is walk through the things that we're going to walk through in life. And so when I have an issue, when there's things that I, I go through in life and I don't understand or that I just honestly fail at, he becomes the wonderful counselor because he's walked through that. He's set the course yet perfectly in his life. You see, I realize that for me, I am not a wonderful counselor. I'm a counselor in a lot of ways as a pastor, as a shepherd. There are people that will come to me and, and, and like that's an open door in, in your life as, as things come up um, to come and, 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 and to talk with me. And the best thing as a counselor I can do is point you to Jesus, right? Because I'm not the wonderful counselor. And there's two main reasons that I'm not. One is that I can't relate to everything that you've gone through in life, Right? A lot of times people will come to, to a pastor, to, a, uh, to someone that they, they trust, even to a counselor, right? And they'll share something they're going through in life. And the best that we can say is that, I'm sorry you're going through a hard time, but in a lot of situations, we can't say that I know what you're going through because there's certain things in life that we haven't experienced. But yet, as the, the, the writer in Hebrews tells us, Jesus has he can sympathize with us. He can understand our weakness because he experienced every temptation that was thrown at us. He himself had those. If you look through the gospel stories, there are moments and seasons and times when Jesus was, everything was thrown at him that gets thrown at us in life, yet he did it perfectly. Right? He did it perfectly. That's why he's the wonderful counselor. You see, for, for many years, people had would often come to me and they would say, when they lose somebody really close to them, right, a loved one, and, and the best I could say is that I'm sorry, but as much as I wanted to say, I know what you're going through, I didn't. And then about 10 years ago, a lot of you guys know my dad passed away. And after walking through that moment, now when people come to me and say that I've lost someone close, I can now say, I know what you're going through. I know what it feels like to feel like, man, all I can do is just breathe in that moment because because this person is now gone that was so close to me, I can, I can now say that I know what it feels like. But there's so many other things in life that, that we just can't do, which is why Jesus becomes the perfect Messiah. The other reason that I can't be the wonderful counselor this morning is because, honestly, I can't, I can't advise on what I've not perfected, right? And so there are going to be things in life that, that maybe you would come to me as your pastor and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. And the be again, the best thing I can do is point you to Jesus because truth of the matter is I might be struggling with some of it myself, right? I haven't perfected this life yet. And that's why Jesus becomes the wonderful counselor for us in our life is because he has walked the road that we've walked, but yet he's done it perfectly. And so as we look at Jesus this morning as wonderful counselor, um, I want us to look at, we, we're talking about the idea of a gift exchange, right? We're talking about there's things in this box that we bring, right? Things that we have in this box in our lives. And, and for some of us, honestly, I was thinking about this this week. Some of us, we do a really good job of making the outside of the box look really pretty, don't we? Like, we get around in, in these church circles and, and around people that, you know, uh, that we care about. And we make the outside of the package look really, really nice, don't we? Um, like we put on a smile, we, we pretend and act like everything's okay. Um, you know, it's the, 
it's the classic story of, you know, parents on the way to church with their kids. Now, this doesn't ever happen in our family, but I've heard of other families that do this, right? And, and, you, and, you, and you're rolling up to church, and you're just yelling at the kids, and you're throwing babies, and you're arguing, and, and all this crazy mess is happening. And then you roll up into the church doors, and everybody's smiling and in order, and everything is, is just perfectly. You guys know that's not true, because normally my kids are all yelling at each other, and we're all frazzled when we get here, so... Um, but we do a really good job a lot of times trying to make the outside of the package look really, really nice. But yet inside, we have all this mess, right? And that's truly what, what we need fixing, right? That's truly the greatest gift that we can, we can have this season is to be able to trade that mess in and receive from Jesus a solution to those, to those problems. So as wonderful counselor, today I want us to look around the concept of we bring our sorrows to Jesus in exchange for his joy, right? We bring our, as the wonderful counselor, right? When you think about a counselor's office, the majority of the time that we go to see a counselor is because we have something broken in our lives. We have something that's messed up in our lives. And so we're going to that counselor to give us advice on how to fix that problem. And so this morning we're going to look at how do we bring those sorrows, those things that are just broken in our lives, and we bring those to Jesus, and he says that he's going to exchange those for joy, right? He's going to exchange those for joy. This is where we're going to be at. So today we're going to, we're going to primarily be focusing in Isaiah chapter 61, uh, verses 1 through 4. I think Isaiah paints a really beautiful picture here of this exchange of sorrow for joy, brokenness uh, for wholeness or for healing uh, in Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. This is a, this is a really, really important passage. In fact, Jesus quotes this passage in Luke chapter 4 of himself as, as his claim to the Messiah. Um, and so this is a really important important passage in Isaiah. Um, let me just read it first, and then I want us to just kind of go back and make a couple observations about uh, what, what our sorrow looks like and, and what, it, what an exchange Jesus gives for that. Starting in verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So Isaiah is painting a picture here of, of what the Messiah the Messiah would do when he comes, part of, part of what he's going to enact when he comes into the world. And we know it's the Messiah in the phrase that it talks about, um, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed him as Lord, right? That, that picture of anointing we know is a, is a picture of, of someone being marked for a special purpose. 
And so very quickly, Isaiah gives us what that special purpose is, and that's to bring good news for those that are hurting, right? Your translation may say poor or afflicted, but for those that are hurting, it's to bring good news to them. It's to bring good news. This idea of affliction most often is used in reference to a uh, spiritual inward kind of brokenness. And I don't know about you, but it doesn't take me very long to realize that apart from Jesus, there's some really inward broken things in my life, right? Aside from what Jesus has done in my life, like, like there's a lot of brokenness in there. There's a lot of just spiritually messed up things and messed up thinking that I have in my life. And yet it says that the Messiah will come and, and bring good news in exchange for this brokenness, for this hurting that we have. What's the good news? We know the good news is that of the, the Messiah himself, of salvation, that there's one coming that will right the wrongs, that will in exchange give himself for our brokenness. The good news is that God's kingdom is now at hand and that things are going to change and that if you're hurting, good news is here. There's one that's, that's coming, right? In Isaiah's day, it was a picture of good news is coming. Keep looking, keep waiting because the Messiah is coming, right? In our day, it's the Messiah has come. The good news is that Jesus has finished the work and we can put our hope and trust in him. And so for all of those broken things in our lives, we can put our trust and hope and what he has done for us. He goes on from there, not only to bring good news to the poor, um, but also to bind up the brokenhearted, right? To, to bring healing to the brokenhearted. Um, it's kind of interesting, this, this word brokenhearted literally means to crush into pieces beyond repair. Um, and so with this word binding, literally the Messiah will come and he's going to pick up those broken pieces and he's going to put them back together. It's, it's the picture of, of coming and just gluing up those. This, this idea of binding up the wounds of the broken, right? Uh, Jesus tells a story in the, in the, in the Gospels um, of, a, of a guy who was robbed, right? And he was beat up by some robbers and, and some different guys show up. And one of those guys that show up was a Samaritan. Right? And when it says in the text is that when the Samaritan showed up, he bound up his wounds. He wrapped up those broken parts of his body and fixed them and cared for the person. I think that's the picture here that we get of the Messiah is that for those of us that are that our hearts are broken and shattered, right? We think about the world, we think about our lives, and we just realize that our hearts are just in a million different pieces sometimes. That when we bring all of that to Jesus, he binds those up. He tenderly and carefully cares for those wounds in our heart. And he walks with us in those broken areas of life. Continuing on in our passage, second part of uh, verse 1, he says, Also to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. It's an idea of bringing freedom to those that were in captivity. This is another role that the, the Messiah would do, is that he's going to proclaim liberty. He's going to proclaim freedom to those that are in prison, a pardon for the prisoners, if you will. And that's exactly what Jesus, as the Messiah, does in our life, right? There are hurts and hang-ups and things that we all carry with us, right? There are addictions and, 
and, and, and, and heart things and attitudes that we all carry with us. And these things capture us. They imprison us. Right? We may feel like we're, we're free from those things for a minute. Um, but ultimately we realize that we're prisoners to those things. And Jesus says if you'll just come to him, that he's going to give you true freedom from those things. Ultimately, it's, it's freedom from our own sin is the picture of what the Messiah was going to do. It's, it's interesting here that uh, the phrase opening up of the prison, uh, opening up of the prisons, uh, is, is translated in a lot of other places, uh, in a lot of other translations, as opening the eyes of the blind. In fact, when Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus quotes this, this part of Isaiah, he actually says that the captive, uh, that they will proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of the sight to the blind. And I think that's just a, that's just a perfect analogy of our lives sometimes, right? Um, it's, it's, it's like um, blindness, um, and especially spiritual blindness, is, is like being imprisoned. It's like being uh, captured or being a prisoner locked away, right? Because, because the, the darkness of life has, has so wrapped us up that we can't even see what it would be like to be free. And so we don't ever pursue that freedom, Right? It's the reason that, that a lot of us have friends that we share Jesus with, we share this good news with, and it's like we just get met with blank walls. They just don't see it in their lives. It's because there's this, as the Bible says, there's darkness in their lives. Um, I think about it, I, I kind of thought about it a lot this week, um, this way, is that, um, I don't know if you guys are, are familiar, but um, those that uh, spend time in prison, okay, um, like 43% of people who are in prison, um, the statistics tell us they will at some point return back to prison. And one of the reasons that we know that, one of the reasons that that is such an issue is that for a lot of prisoners, especially those that have spent a lot of time in prison, they can't see what life would be like to be on the outside, right? They can't understand what it would be like because their, their whole mind has now become encapsulated in, in what life is within the walls of, of the jail, of the prison that they're in. And so um, I, was, I was reading this week, there was a story of a guy, uh, this was a couple of years ago, and he had just gotten out from being in prison for like 30 years. Um, and the first, like, the first thing he does within the first couple of weeks of being out is he goes to a convenience store and he robs the convenience store. Except for he doesn't have a gun, he has his finger in his pocket, in his hoodie, and pretends to rob the prison. And so when they were asking him afterwards like why he did this, he was like, I, I just couldn't imagine life on the outside. I just had to get back in because he couldn't see what it would be like to, to be on the outside. And, and I wonder in our lives, because of darkness, because of those that are we know that are walking in darkness, if that's why when the, when the light of Jesus comes to them, it's like they just completely miss it. We talked about last week uh, at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 9, as he's kind of setting the tone for who this Messiah would be, one of the things he says is that there were people who walked in darkness and they'll see a great light. They'll see a great light. And, and I, wonder, I wonder how many of us are so in, in, encapsulated, right, whether it be by an addiction or just other things in our life that, that we just don't even see the freedom that Jesus is offering to us if we just turn to him as our wonderful counselor. Next, he goes on to talk about the wonderful counselor. He says he's going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance. This, this day of vengeance here is, is a reference to a judgment day, at a point when God is going to judge sin. 
And for those who are found without Jesus, there's going to be a severe judgment for that. We know that from Scripture. But it's interesting that he pairs this with to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, as as one of my one of my favorite commentators, Warren Wearsby, uh, says, he says this. He says the the favorable year is the year of jubilee. It's a time when all the debts are canceled and the landers are returned to its original owners. The slaves are freed and everybody has a a fresh new beginning. And it's that picture that for those of us who are in Christ, at that judgment moment, right at that day when God judges the earth, that we're gonna, it's going to be as of a year of jubilee, not because of what we've done, but because of what He's done for us. That instead of getting what we deserve, we're going to get freedom. Continuing on, he says that the Messiah will comfort those who mourn. He will comfort those who mourn. Um, I think about in the Beatitudes where Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for there's coming a day when they will be comforted. For those of us that have heart uh, pangs because of things that we go through and, and hurts in life that we experience because of the world that we live in and because of our own choices sometimes that when we come to Jesus there's a comfort that he is giving to us I think the next few parts of the verse is a reference to that comfort he says for those who mourn in Zion there will be a beautiful headdress instead of ashes we all know that the picture of ashes was a, was a symbol it was a Jewish cultural symbol of mourning Right? And so when I'm, when I'm broken and mourning over something, I'm going to cover myself in these ashes. But he says, instead of that, the wonderful counselor then gives us a beautiful headdress. It's this picture of, of, of taking something that was very ugly and broken as in ashes, and in, instead we trade it out for this beautiful headdress, um, this wonderful, wonderful headdress. Also, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, that even in the midst of my mourning, that there can be gladness when I bring it to the wonderful counselor. And then finally, he says that instead of, instead of having a faint spirit, that the wonderful counselor will give me a, a garment of praise. A garment of praise. I think it's interesting, as I was looking at this, um, that he says that he'll give me a garment of praise. He doesn't say that it, he'll necessarily give me uh, strength in that moment, even though we know that he does in a, in a certain way, but he gives us praise. And I think about in those moments of weakness and we struggle when we come to the counselor, he gives us something to praise, to be praising God for. He gives us something to, that our hearts would then rejoice in. Isaiah, uh, I'm sorry, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 13, he says this, then shall the young women rejoice in dancing, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Or in Psalm chapter 30, verse 11 through 12, it says, You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. It's this, this picture, right, of when, when we bring our broken mess and our hurting to the wonderful counselor, in exchange we get praise and joy that we can sing back to the God of the universe, the God who created us. And that's the picture, right? That's the picture of what the wonderful counselor will do in our lives. And so uh, let's take a minute and just kind of pause. I know I just like covered, there's a ton, like we could have probably spent three weeks just covering this one passage in Isaiah. I know there's a ton of stuff in here that, that we have yet even, even scratched the surface on. Um, 
but let's take a minute, um, and I want us to discuss this together, like in our groups, okay? Um, what for us, right, of, of the list of those sorrows, of those things that bring sorrow in our life, um, that we bring to him, what do you find as the hardest one of those to bring to Jesus? What is the hardest one of those for you to turn over control in your life? Maybe put it another way. Um, for, for some of us, right, it may be that idea of like, there's a deep hurt, and I'm just not willing to, to let that go, right? It's just so deep and so hard that I don't know like that I can just give that over to Jesus to do something with. Or, or maybe for some of us, it's, it's, there's a brokenness inside of us. Some of us, it may be a slavery thing, a captivity, uh, an addiction thing that we don't want to give over. Um, maybe it's just a, there's just this sadness inside of some of us because of something we've walked through. Maybe there's a weakness that we're struggling to give over to Him. But what do you find in your life to be the hardest of those sorrows, if you will, to bring to Him? And so let's talk about that. And then um, when we come back together, we're going to talk about, so how do we actually do this? What does it look like? What's important for us to understand if we're going to actually do this, if we're going to actually bring all of this to the wonderful counselor. Okay, so let's take a couple minutes, talk about that, and we'll come back together. I, I know in my life, and, and I think it's probably true for all of us, like there are probably multiple things in that passage that um, that we can come back to and, and, and say that, man, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really struggling. I see this in my life. Um, and Isaiah 61 is just this beautiful, encouraging word of, of what Jesus does in our life, uh, what the Messiah is, is going to do. Um, for us and in our lives, but also realize and, and just want to say, like, this isn't a one-step process, and we're, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, but this is this is ultimately what 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 the result is if we invest our lives and energy in following Jesus. Um, this is what He promises for us. Um, but then the question comes in for us, like, what is that? What does that look like? Uh, what does that What does that mean on our side? If 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 we really want that, if we really want to take the, the sorrows of life and give it to Jesus and in exchange get this joy like like practically what does that look like for us to, to actually do that in our lives to 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 make that exchange to make that swap um, because there's there's certain things that we have to realize and be aware of in order for that to happen and um, there there are kind of three three uh, Three things that, that I think are important for us to, to understand, and this is true as we as we come to the wonderful counselor, we have to 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 bring these. We have to 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 do these if we truly want to see the healing that he promises to give us. Uh, first and foremost is we have to be open and honest with him. Um, right? There's 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 not a place to hold back certain parts of our hurt and 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 brokenness from him, but yet when he calls us to come, it's to come and to bring all of ourselves to him. It's to admit that we need him, and it's to come openly and honestly. This is this is true. Um, this is true of, of Jesus as the wonderful counselor. This is also true if you were to go see a counselor, right? Like you're not going to make very much progress if you're not open and honest with your counselor. In the same way, when we bring this stuff to Jesus, like we, we, we have to be open and honest completely with him. Um, for, for, um, for AA, one of the first steps they say is that you have to admit that you have a problem, right? That's the first step in the process of healing is to admit that you have a problem. And I think when we come to Jesus, as long as we kind of put on this shadow that, you know what, 
we can kind of fake it till we make it. Everything's not that bad. We're okay people, but yet we're not willing to to dive into the depths of our brokenness when we come to Him and to bring all of that to Him and to be completely honest about those things, that we're never going to see the healing that we want to have in our life. And so the questions then become, well, what are we keeping back, right? What patterns or sin in our life are we justifying, right? What are those things as we, as we come and we say, Jesus, I want healing. Let me give you an example. I want healing from my anger, Right, Lord I, Jesus, I am tired of being an angry person, but yet, in the middle of that argument with my <coughs> wife, I'm still justifying my reasons. Yeah, but God, but she did this and she did this. When we come to the wonderful counselor, it has to be a place of coming with transparency and owning up to those things in our life and being accountable for those, those areas that we struggle in. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's comparing behaviors, right? Well, I'm not as bad as that person is, right? I'm not as bad as that person is. But to realize that in a counseling setting, it's about you. It's not about, that's what a counselor would tell you. It's not about the other person. It's about you. And so in those, those moments when we bring that brokenness to Jesus, like we can't use the excuse of what other people are doing, but we just must be very open and honest about those things in our own lives. And so as we, as we come and bring that to the wonderful counselor, we need to be completely open and completely honest. Number two, and I think uh, this one may be a little bit of a like, really, but I think it's important is that we have to want to be healed, right? Like we have to actually want to be healed. As crazy as it sounds, some of us enjoy living in the brokenness that we're in sometimes, right? Like there are aspects and excuses and things that we actually kind of enjoy about the brokenness of our lives some of us we we enjoy the excuse of being able to hold on to that anger and to justify that right and even though on the outside we may say god i don't want to be an angry person anymore on the inside we still get a little bit of joy when we can tell that person off or when we can think that in our mind or whatever it may be so do you truly want to be healed? Do you truly want to change? Because the thing is that when we bring that to the wonderful counselor, most of the time, as we spend time with Jesus, he's going to tell us that there's going to be things in our life that's going to need to change if we want that freedom and that, and that healing from whatever that hurt is. And we have to be ready and willing to do that. And sometimes it's scary. Like sometimes it's scary for us to think about stepping out into a new pattern of life. Right? So if we are struggling with something or there's a hurt in our life and Jesus as the counselor in our life through his word will tell us that we need to do things, sometimes it's a little intimidating to think about that. All right? Maybe for some of us we struggle, right, with, uh, with, with, with uh, you know, uh, with wh what our eyes look at, right? For guys especially, I know, and it's not just guys. Statistics are saying that, that men and women are kind of in the same place. Uh, anymore the statistics are really coming to place but but the lust of our heart and and that happens to our eyes right maybe when we bring that to the wonderful counselor he's going to say look you need to get rid of the the source you need to get rid of the television or the phone or the tablet or whatever it is that's causing that brokenness in your life and the idea of getting rid of that right can be kind of scary what, what do you like i can't just not have a tv right that's like isn't there a law against that or something, right? Like, like, or I can't have a, not have a computer. Like, I have to have a computer for work, or I can't do this. 
And it's really easy in those moments to say, I want healing. But yet when Jesus comes back and said, well, here's how you're going to get healing for us to just make excuses and to respond with excuses. I love the story in John chapter 5, verse 6. There's this uh, paralytic man uh, who's laying by the pool. You guys are familiar with that story. And Jesus comes up to him, right? He's been paralyzed, I think, since birth. Uh, This is in John 5, uh, 6. And he asks him a question. He says, do you want to be healed? I love that. I love that question, right? It's so simple but so true. And I wonder, like, in our lives, those things that we offer up to Jesus and say we want healing from them, do we really want healing, right? Do we really want healing in our lives, or do we just want to continue to make excuses? And so when we bring that to him, we have to be ready. Our hearts have to be prepared in such a place. I love uh, what Augustine or Augustine, depending on how you want to say it, uh, he says this. uh, He says, often our prayer is this, God, make me pure, but not just yet, right? Like, like, isn't that so true? Like, God, we want to be in this place where we're living for you and we want to see perfection. Like, we want to see purity in our lives and holiness in our lives, but not just yet. There's a few things I want to do, right? I'm not quite ready for that yet, right? But if we truly want to see healing, then we have to be, we have to want it and and then finally, which follows right along in this, is then we have to do what, whatever he says for us to do. Jesus as Messiah, as the one who has walked through this life perfectly, right? We have to do what he says to do. So the question is, have we put our yes on the table, right? Are, are we truly ready to exchange our box, all the stuff that's in there? Are we ready to take our hands off of it and give it to him? There was a, uh, there was a popular bumper sticker. Um, this was back, uh, so I'm a kid of the 90s, so this was a 90s thing, uh, especially in, in 90s uh, Bible, Belt, Bible Belt Southern culture. There was this really popular bumper sticker that people would have that says, God is my co-pilot. You guys ever seen that? Seen somebody driving around? And if that's on your car, I'm sorry, but actually, no, I'm not sorry. You need to hear this, Um, right? Jesus is not called to be our co-pilot. Like he's the pilot, right? Like if he's the king of king and Lord of lords, if he's the Messiah in our life, like he's the one driving, driving the plane and we're just the airplane, right? We're following along wherever he is directing and guiding our lives to go. We're following his heading. But so many times in life, right? We would just want to stick Jesus over in the co-pilot seat, Right? And be like, all right, Jesus, when things are good, we'll put it on kind of autopilot, and then you can kind of play with the controls and, and, and kind of run my life or whatever. But when we bring our hurts and our hangups and our issues and our sorrow to the wonderful counselor, and he comes back, right? And, and you may say, well, well, how does Jesus respond? He doesn't walk with us. To, he's not on earth today. How does he respond? Well, he responds in a lot of ways, and I don't want to, like, just generalize this and for, forget to say, like, one of the ways is through his word. And so if we're not reading his word on a regular daily basis and we're expecting to hear from Jesus, like it's probably not going to happen that way. Like he speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his spirit that's within us. He speaks to us in our our time of prayer. And so if we aren't doing those things, we're probably not going to hear from him in these ways. But when we do hear from him, when we read a passage of scripture, when we read something in his word that says to do this and to, to, to live in this way, then we got to actually do what he tells us to do, right? For me, that's always the hardest part of this whole thing. I could, I'm usually pretty good at being open and honest. I'm a pretty open and honest person. Um, 
you know? Um, marriage will do that, especially when you're married to someone who is right on the fringe of perfection. It's really easy to, to be humble in those moments because typically, like, they're, they, your spouse is right. Um, can I get an amen, guys? Better get an amen from the guys. Um, right? And so, and so, like, open and honesty is not a really thing that I struggle with. Uh, wanting to be healed, like, I kind of, I kind of, you know, most of the time I want to be healed. Sometimes I'm, like, super, super selfish and don't want that. But when it comes to actually doing what he says, like, that's when the rubber meets the road moment in life. When I'm just, no more excuses. I'm actually going to put this on display. I'm going to actually do this in my life. Like, that's where the struggle comes for me. And I take comfort in the words of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6. It says this, in all your ways, not some of your ways, not the ways that you choose to share, not the ways that you uh, want to to share and, and hide other ones, but in all of your ways, if you acknowledge him and who he is, he will make your path straight. In those moments, in all of those moments of life, if I will acknowledge him and who he is and give it over to him and then do what he says, that he will make the paths straight, right? And before we wrap up today, I just I thought it was helpful for us to get a picture of, of what this looks like then. When we bring our sorrow to Jesus and he gives us joy in exchange, what does that look like, right? So I want us to flip back to our, our Isaiah 61 passage. Verses three and four give us a picture of what that will look like. But the second half of verse three says this, all those, right, those that were broken and all that stuff, when the Messiah comes and brings the good news and the healing and all that stuff, here's what's going to happen, he says. Then they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Like, that's my vision as a church community is that's what we would be known as, right? Um, that we would be oaks that are planted, right? You guys know anything? We have a bunch of oak trees in in, uh, in our front yard, uh, which are really beautiful to look at and really annoying this time of year because we have leaves everywhere. Um, but if you know anything about oak trees, right, they have really, really deep roots. And they have to, right, because they typically grow really, really big. Um, and the picture here is that we would be people that are so planted in the Lord, so deeply rooted in the Lord that when, when hard times come, that we run to the Messiah. And we're not shaken by the winds and the waves of life, but that we're deeply rooted people in Him. And then verse 4, that they then shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. There's, this is obviously a picture of, 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 of the people to coming back from the exile um, and restoring what would happen. But it's also that picture in our lives is that as we turn our lives over to Messiah Jesus, right, that he wants to restore all of that brokenness in our lives. It's really a story of rescue and restoration in our lives, right? Some of you guys are like, I've heard that phrase somewhere before, right? That's our church. Our church mission is to, to bring the rescue and restoration of Jesus Christ to the world around us because that's really what we see throughout the pages of scripture is that Jesus wants to save us and then restore us back to this beautiful picture of God and humanity together. This picture of what he had it planned in the very beginning before sin and brokenness came into the picture at all. And that's the promise, is that we, when we come to the wonderful Counselor, that He brings that restoration in our lives. And here's the beautiful thing, right? Here's the cool thing about it, 
is that once he brings that restoration into our lives, that he uses us in the lives of other people to bring that same rescue and restoration. Like, that's the picture that I love. It's a picture I love within our church body of seeing people that I know that have been rooted in Christ, and now they're starting to take that and invest in other people so that they can start to see that restoration in their life, right? And it just kind of multiplies from there. And so as we, as we conclude today, um, as we kind of wrap up this look at the wonderful counselor, um, I would just encourage you today, like we, we're going to have some time. Um, Ross and Holly are going to come up and we're going to lead every single more song. I think we're doing another Christmas song, which is, which is cool. Um, Go Tell It on the Mountain, um, which, is, which is one of my favorite ones uh, at this time of year. Um, but even in the midst of that, like I know that Go Tell It on the Mountain is not typically like this like super emotional, heartfelt, like let me come to the altar and, and kind of offer things up to the Lord moment. But let me just encourage you, like if, as we've been talking today, if, if, if the Lord has just been bringing up some hurts and some heartaches and some things that you're struggling with, uh, let me point you in a couple directions. One, I would say this time and space is for you. And so even if we're singing something like Go Tell It on the Mountain, like, man, just take that opportunity and just take it to the Lord because, because he's there. He is the wonderful counselor. And so maybe you just need to pause and pray this morning. Um, you know, I'm going to be up front. Um, I would love to pray with anybody that, that needs me to do that. But also let me point you to your life group as well. Like if you're connected in a smaller community, um, as small as we are here on Sunday morning, we still know that um, it's not small enough for us to truly have those life-on-life experiences. And so we believe the best way for that to happen is within the context of even smaller groups that happen throughout the week. And those life groups are a great place if the Lord is bringing these things to your heart and your mind and you're struggling with something. Man, that community of people, of, of 5 to, to 12 people, man, that's the perfect group to get in and to start talking about that and start to encourage one another um, to take these things to the wonderful counselor. So I just want to kind of point you in those directions. Um, so let's pray together, and then uh, we're going to close out with one last song. So Father, thank you for today. Uh, we certainly are so grateful for your word and for Jesus as the wonderful counselor and even in this season as we are in father that is as cheery and wonderful as as this season is in the world around us and as much as we like to put up pretty lights and shiny things we realize that inside of each one of us there's some really broken things as well and father even though it may not be glamorous and even though it may not be easy that I, I pray that this season that we would take those things to you God, that, that we would receive the greatest gift that we could ever have, which is, which is the peace that comes, the joy that comes from the wonderful counselor, God, that we would be called oaks of righteousness that are planted by the Lord. God, that we would be people of restoration and God in turn restoring other lives and bringing your story of restoration. And so this morning, as always, Father, we're, we just want to thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he's done. God, we thank you that he came and lived among us and that he dwelt. He, he took on flesh so that he could be a guide, an example, a light for us and how to navigate this life. So, Father, I just pray that our lives would be looking more and more like his. Thank you for today. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.